Thanks, Bridget, and hello, everybody. I'm uh, Mary Eileen, and I'm a regular house and garden variety alcoholic, um, zooming in from uh, Los Angeles. And uh, I'm as Irish as, I don't know if that's allowed to be said anymore, but pretty darn Irish. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of you could fill in the blank, but I don't, and like in, this, in these days, I'm like, can we say that anymore? I don't think we can, but pretty darn Irish with the name O'Donnell. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, I found out I was an alcoholic really early on. I am. Um, uh, it's, it's great to be here with with you all. Um, since the pandemic, um, before I start with the uh, the olden days, uh, with the pandemic, one good thing is uh, being able to go to all these meetings all around the world. Um, God, and making new friends, that's amazing. Um, my home group in LA is uh, we agnostics and it's a secular group. It's um, it's all across the map. You can believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter. We don't, you know, we don't, uh, we don't uh, push anything. We don't, you can believe whatever you want. I remember once <laughs> a few years ago going to this meeting uh, at the Friday night meeting in we agnostics when it was held in person in an absolutely impossible place to find. It was impossible to find this place. If you actually got into the room at that meeting, you were like, a, it was like a miracle. Um, yeah, thanks, Marsha. Thank you. Um, yeah, but don't don't tempt me with that crap. <laughs> don't tempt me with there's no time limit. Um, and I, this is this is one of those ones where I, I just set my intention. Please let me say something that's of use to somebody. Um, but there was this guy and you could tell he was still drinking and he'd be coming to the Friday night agnostics meeting and he would be um, trying to convert us um to his pentecostal beliefs and it was what was so amazing i was annoyed because i was new at, at new at that meeting at the we agnostics i'm like you, you can't say that in here like well actually you know i've just come here from an al-anon meeting you can say whatever you want i can't control you i can't you know i can't cure you control you i can't uh you know uh, i don't want to contribute to the crazy um and I don't want to, you know, it's just, I can't, I can't do anything about you. But so he's trying to convert us. And it was like, and what I noticed was tremendous patience from the other people sitting in the room, tremendous patience, like people would listen. And I guess we all knew, you know, I think he's still using, you know, and, and just to just, you know, the old saying, you know, to love, love him until he could love himself. Well, he eventually stopped coming to the meeting because maybe he didn't convert us. And maybe he was busy on a Friday night drinking, which is, I could tell you it's tragic, but I don't like using those really um, exaggerated words. You know, it is what it is. If I'd wrapped my car around a tree when I was drinking, some might say it was tragic and some might say, well, you know, she was always drinking. She got what she had, you know, she got, she got what for, she got what she was, you know, She'd been drinking, what'd she expect? You know, it's Russian roulette. So let's go back a little ways. Um, uh, I was born in upstate New York and my father was a New Yorker who had grown up in the slums and he had been a hobo during the Great Depression and, um, uh, and he fought in World War II. You know, bat invasion of Normandy, Battle of the Bulge. So when he comes home, it's a fair guess that he had PTSD, raising a family immediately with my mother, four kids right in a row. Um, um, 
and uh, you know, names like Mary Eileen and Pierce and Maureen and like, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and we grew up strictly Irish Catholic and um, uh, I liked this, I liked the, um, I wanna say pageantry. You gotta admit there's a lot of colors in the different vestments colors and then there was in the, in the in the ancient days there was the incense and tantamergos and sacramentums and vene remur chair you know what i mean there's a lot of that latin and uh it was you know it's kind of fun um but the message i got all the time and maybe somebody sitting right next to me didn't get the same message i think it's true i don't think they did the message i got was um you're a bad girl you're gonna go to hell even from like early on. And, um, and I had a book, I could reach it down from the shelf, I could reach it down, it's right there. It was printed in like 1892 or 1875. It's called the little pictorial lives of the saints. And when I was a little kid, because it had pictures, it had, you know, it had lithographs in it. And it was about um, the saints and the martyrs. And forget the saints, I wanted to see what happened to the martyrs. Oh, my gosh, what happened to the martyrs it was awful. Let's just say St. Bridget, virgin and martyr, you know, and it would show her arms being cut off and her breasts and her, you know, St. So-and-so, you know, saint and martyr, and he'd be boiled in oil and this would be cooked on a open spit and this one would be forced to, you know, you could see me, I'm covering my eyes because it was so awful and I couldn't stop reading it. So I go to church and I'm hearing, you know, you'll go to hell, you go to hell, you go to hell. I, the message I got was you're bad, you're going to go to hell. And the other thing was, oh, I could be a martyr and I could go to heaven. Okay. So I would take these really hot baths. You know, when you draw a bath and you're just going to take a bath, I would draw it too hot and I get into that bathtub and I think, well, burning forever in hell has got to be really hard. It's going to be hot and it's going to be a long time. You know, what, what does a 10 year old know about what forever is? And then, but you could be a martyr and you might be boiled in oil. So you better practice. Can you imagine such a thing for a child? Oh my God, it's a terrible thing. And um, <laughs> I'm laughing now. It wasn't funny. No, it wasn't funny. Um, you know, and just those awful pictures. Um, and they were just lithographs, you know? <laughs> I go back and look at it now, I go, why Why didn't an adult take this out of my hands? It's like, it's like, uh, it's like, tr it's like, um, trauma porn, you know what I mean? Torture porn. It's like, ugh. Anyway, I spent too much time on that. She said, pushing it off the shelf. Okay, good. So, um, but the other part I liked was the singing and the music and the incense. And so I'm growing up and, um, and uh, my mother was pretty depressed, I think, from raising four kids in a row. You know, she'd been alone. She was married, but alone for a few years. And now this guy comes back with probably PTSD. And he had a terrible temper, my father, and um, his rages were uh, scary. You know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, a, a neighbor once said, do you think like in the summer, do you think like when you're having a fight, you could like, like you could like when you're yelling, you could close your windows, you know, how embarrassing is that? You know, and we didn't even have a real next door neighbor. The Methodist church was right there. And the, the next people called the woods lived beyond the hedge and over the thing. And it's like, yeah, because I was I was growing, growing up in the country. So that's pretty embarrassing when the neighbor across the street says, close your window. Um, and I remember getting hit a lot. And so what I what I learned was at a young age, because um, I couldn't separate things out. 
Um, well, I'm never going to hit anybody. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink. That's what I saw. You know, my father owned a liquor store. He'd be counting the cash on Sunday. I couldn't even see the top of the table. They'd be smoking. They'd be fighting. They'd be drinking. And I'm not going to, and then I get hit. I get hit so much. I don't know. I got hit so much. And um, so I, uh, uh, I'm never going to do that. And I, you know, I'm sorry. I know there's people in this room who've heard my story. So I apologize for this. But what happened is, what do you think happened? I became a bully as soon as I could. When I was 18 and I could, I was allowed to buy cigarettes. I started right when I was 18. I also was allowed to drink and I started right away. I was an alcoholic right off the bat. And I was a bully for a long, long time, including into sobriety. Um, uh, you know, a, a typical night drinking would be life of the party. Woohoo, I'm so funny. Yeah, I'm so funny. And uh, I tend to be kind of funny in real life, I think. Um, but um, but after a while, the argument might start, and then the argument would lead to um, would lead to a big argument, and then I might hit you or put my fist through a wall or break a window, just like boom, right through the window. Um, I remember coming out of a. I lived in England for the last three years of my drinking before I moved to New York, and I remember coming out of the pub late at night, being very angry and putting my fist uh, through the um, off-track bedding. It's called something there. I forgot. I think it's OTB over here. It's called something else over there. Uh, just right, right through the window. And, you know, seeing the next day at the pub, seeing it, you know, all boarded up and they probably thought there was some hooligan. I don't, well, if it's next to a pub, they know what happened. Um, yeah, I love pub drinking. So so I, I grew up and I, I, uh, I, at the 18, I started drinking. And I also was given, I had a problem with, uh, with my weight on and off my whole life I have. Um, and... Um, my doctor gave me a diet pills and we know what they are. They're speed. Oh my God. I just loved diet pills. They were the best. There's something about my kind of body chemistry where it made me feel great. Oh my God. And then, but then I'd have to take more and more of it. And then after a few days, you know, you're crashing terribly. And I can tell you, I, I stopped the speed before I stopped the uh, the drinking because I made the connection. These terrible depressions have to do with taking the speed. Um, but I, I couldn't stop drinking. And uh, so I graduated from high school. Um, I went to college and I, I learned to use drugs there, but not a lot of drugs. I'm really a candy ass. Uh, I never did cocaine. Um, but I did the speed and I learned to smoke pot in, in college. I went to Catholic University in Washington, D.C. for two years. And because of the Greek system, mostly the Greek system, and I missed my family in upstate New York, I uh, I transferred to a school in Albany, New York, and I graduated from there uh, during a year when they basically kicked us out and mailed us our diplomas. They didn't want us even around the campus because there was a little bit of uh, demonstration about, the, about that time, like a lot of demonstration. And... Um, we were just hooligans, you know? Um, so, and I worked for a year, dropping speed every morning, go to work and then come home, opening, uh, cracking open the beers and watching Sesame Street. Just my speed, just my speed, Sesame Street uh, after being high all day and then drinking beer, perfect. And my mother would hear that, she would hear that from um, another room Oh, you're not going to start that tonight, are you? She'd say. Meanwhile, she's already drinking. So when I was a kid, my father worked 72 hours uh, a week, you know, from 10 in the morning to 10 at night. 
all day Saturday. And the only day he had off was Sunday. And I was like really mad at my father because he was breaking the law. He would sell booze out of the house on Sunday. You know, he just, you know, somebody needed booze, they'd come to the house and get it. Now, when I think about it, who needs booze on Sunday? Who, did, who didn't think ahead on, fr on Friday and Saturday? Hmm, maybe an alcoholic. You know, I did a show on Zoom uh, a month ago and somebody from my hometown came in upstate New York. And she said, because uh, my what I in the show I was talking about my father. My father was a great guy. If you really, you know, on paper he's a great guy. It's just that when you get beaten so much by somebody you really and humiliated, you kind of feel and you know and uh, validated, you kind of feel like it's a little hard, a little hard. So um, he was a great guy. And this woman said, um, I knew her father. He sold my father a lot of alcohol. I'm like, yeah, that's right. You know because. And we'd have to deliver it over there. I remember it because you know the the drunks would be so drunk that we kids had to deliver the booze to their house because they couldn't couldn't get there. Anyway, yeah, you know what? I gotta watch the time anyway. It started at ten, um, and I I tend to like talk about my drinking for five thousand two hundred years, and then I spend four seconds on my sobriety. Um, yeah, so you know, my last three years of drinking were in London, and uh, damn, that was fine. Because <clears throat> I loved my school. I loved my school. It was a, the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. It was great. It was great. I loved my classmates, but I found a classmate. Oh, I found a classmate that liked to drink and eat as much as I did and take drugs. You know, again, not serious drugs, just the, well, serious to me, speed. And I think I finally got into Valium a little bit. She, she, she's not in the meeting, I don't think. So she, she was off to the races with... Um, with the Valium uh, for a long time. And I'm glad that I, I didn't get into that because it was uppers that was my thing. And something about booze would calm me down until I'd go crazy every day, every day, every day. And by the, so I moved to New York City. I moved to New York City after, after London. It's the first time in New York. At first I lived with some friends and then they said, well, we think you should maybe get your own apartment. So I did. And um, at first I, I would uh, go from the Upper East Side down to the village and uh, which is three trains uh, to go down to, to drink with my people. And then um, after a while, uh, I'd either be so drunk or I would drink right down to my token and I didn't even, I didn't have enough money to get home. And that's, you know, those six miles or so are very difficult to walk when you're drunk. And, um, and also the train going up on the local, going across and then going up on the local, that got very complicated. Sometimes I was so drunk, I would miss my stop and I'd have to turn around and come back down. And so finally I started drinking in my neighborhood and um, I drank, I remember drinking with this one guy, Russell, and he said, we were drunk once and he said, you know, I was a, I heard him say I was a lecturer in AA and I looked at him, we were both drunk and I thought, Phew, AA is a dud, isn't it? You know, look at him. He might have probably said I was a speaker, but now that I think about it, it's like, yeah, he probably said just that he'd, he'd maybe he shared from the floor. I don't know. He was drunk as a skunk. Did he get sober after that? He was a flight attendant. I hope he did. You know, I hope he did. Um, and finally, I ended up drinking in my house uh, and not wanting to answer the phone because, you know, if you answer the phone and you're drunk, people know. People know. So, and at that point, I was marking the calendar any day. I'd stopped using the, the speed a year or so before this because I couldn't handle it anymore. I was down and I couldn't even drink the hard liquor anymore. I couldn't even drink the wine. I was down to beer. It was like I couldn't even, you know, 
I couldn't handle uh, couldn't handle the heavy stuff anymore. Although when I was home, you know, my father owned a liquor store. I could have whatever I wanted, and I did. I did. Um, I, I eight months after I moved to New York City, I went to my first AA meeting, kind of by accident. Uh, I was at a Weight Watchers meeting, and uh, there was a like a whiteboard or a chalkboard that's something something about an AA meeting on Sundays, and we're talking about right next door. We're talking about. 10 yards from my house, you know, on, on East 90th street, there was the Our Lady of Good Counsel, you know, uh, church hall or something. And it was, it was two doors down. I thought, well, I'm an actor. I should go in there and see, you know, see what these alcoholics are like uh, in case I ever have to play one. But I knew I had a problem. You know, it's this thing about here to here, you know, the penny hadn't dropped. I, I just couldn't, couldn't say I'm an, al I could say I'm an alcoholic, but it didn't mean anything. You know, but I might have to play one someday. So anyway, all right. So I go to um, I went to my first meeting and I identified completely with the speaker. She she was young. She was this. She was that. I was like, oh, my God, she had lived in Europe. She had drunk in Europe. It was great. I, I really I really liked uh, the uh, the speaker and I uh, identified. And a woman at that meeting said to me, OK, you're new. You're going to come every Sunday and you're going to make the coffee or you're not going to stay sober. And I was like, OK. Got it. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's, I'm sorry. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. Right. I'm sorry. Right. I don't think we're sitting, I'm sitting in a room full of people who, who, you know, when the clue phone rang, we went, oh, thank you for letting me know. You know, it's not, no. So um, I, I, uh, I continue to go to that meeting a, a little bit. We're only talking about two weeks of sobriety. I had two weeks of sobriety and I was boohoo. I was missing my friends in upstate New York. And you know, I didn't have any friends in New York really at that time. I had I had my friends Jane and so and so, but they didn't even drink. You know, so they were no fun. You know, and I was sober and I didn't know about fellowship. I didn't know anything. So I went upstate, took the train up, and I hung out with my friends Dennis and Tim, and and they came to my house and they drank. So I gave them beers to drink, and I was either drink, I was drinking ginger ale, and then I was drinking that that like. Odul's, which is this, it was in those days, and now there's many other brands, by the way, of uh, alcohol-free beer. And then, the, you know, the beer was gone in the fridge. I'm like, okay. So we went to the, the bar, the bar I really liked, uh, the Crooked Lake Hotel bar. It was great. We closed the bar. We closed the bar. I was as drunk as I'd ever been. They took me home. I'm sure I went to the liquor cabinet, liquor cabinet in our house, big old Victorian in uh in upstate New York, out in the country, the liquor cabinet was just the top shelf of the cupboard where we kept the food, and um, and I pulled down a bottle of scotch and I gave myself a shot of that, and as usual, I, I threw up in the night. You know, my my kind of drinking was uh, uh, life of the party, ha ha ha, laughing, and then might hit you, but definitely drove drunk, and uh, used the car as a weapon, not a weapon toward you, but just you know like driving too fast and slamming on the brakes. And like, and I remember once sideswiping a car when I was drunk in Albany. And uh, I remember not leaving a note or anything. I was terrified, you know, terrified. Gosh, I guess I have an amends to make there, but not to that person, but you know how the, you like, you pay it forward amends. I think I have to do that. Um, <laughs> that was a hundred years ago. So, um, uh, so where was I? We, uh, I, I, um, 
was very drunk. I got up, I threw up that night, got up the next morning. It was a Mother's Day. It was a Mother's Day. It was a Sunday, a lovely Sunday in May. And uh, I hurt all over. I hurt all over. And I was uh, miserable. You know, you hurt, every cell of your body hurts. Because I'd been, I'd been good. I think that I had thought of uh, AA as like a diet, like I was being good. My dog has kennel cough, so you'll be hearing him hacking away in the background. You're welcome. Um, so, um, <clears throat> by the way, he's getting better. He's on medicine. And um, I learned an awful lot about Robitussin DM this morning before the meeting. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, it works on him. And he's not going to get addicted, I promise you. And I'm not going to take any. Uh, so, I, 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 I crawled. I took the, the bus back to New York City. I kind of lost the plot there a little bit. So anyway, I took the bus back to New York City. I was miserable um, and uh, I had to go to work the next day and I got up and I um, uh, went to a meeting that night, went to work, went to a meeting that night. And I remember Joan and this guy, Paul afterwards, because I probably had shared that I'd drunk uh, over the weekend. And I was a newcomer really. I'd only been sober a couple of weeks maybe. And I drank again, and um, they invited me out for uh, for uh, uh, you know for fellowship afterwards. And I somehow I remember calling them an arrogant son of a bitch. I called Paul an arrogant son of a bitch. Can you imagine somebody being kind? Yeah, somebody's being kind to you, to me, and I accuse them of some. You know, I've had a long, I've had a very long journey, uh, learning curve. I tell you, in life, you know, in emotional sobriety and the whole thing. And that started my my path of sobriety to date and um, uh, 1027 so uh, that started my sobriety uh, to date and. Um, and because I had drunk after a couple of weeks of sobriety. I thought I had heard about slippers and I didn't want to be a slipper, I thought oh my God i'm going to be one of those slippers um. So I had to be really vigilant and I followed all the directions I, I wanted to get a sponsor, I got the wrong sponsor for the wrong reason, then I got another sponsor for the wrong reason. And I was down in the village and look at you know these two women walking down the street and I went oh one of them any mini money okay this one Linda. Oh my God, she was the best sponsor for 11 and a half years she was the best and um, and i've had other sponsors since then great sponsors. And I like I like it in the big book when it says a sponsor is a friend who you know what I mean. Um, I I often I often read Doctor I love Doctor Bob's. Let me see if I can fit this in. Um, yeah, this is this is a, an excerpt from no that's not the excerpt. Let me see if I can find it. And all the books are going to hit the floor. Here we go. This is an excerpt. This is Doctor Bob's. This is Doctor Bob's last message. This is an excerpt from it. He died right after he he at this convention where he wrote this letter or he read it to them. I'm not, I'm not sure which. This is what he said, Dr. Bob uh, Smith. There are two or three things that flashed into my mind on which it would be fitting to lay a little emphasis. One is the simplicity of our program. Our 12 steps when simmered down resolve themselves into the words love and service. We understand what love is and we understand what service is. So let's bear those two things in mind. Let us also remember to guard that erring member, the tongue. And if we must use it, let's use it with kindness and consideration and tolerance. And one more thing, none of us would be here today if somebody, oof, so it gets me, if somebody hadn't taken time to explain things to us 
to give us a little pat on the back, to take us to a meeting or two, to have done numerous little kind and thoughtful acts on our behalf. So let us never get the degree of smug complacency so that we're not willing to extend or attempt to that help, which has been so beneficial to us, to our less fortunate brothers. Thank you very much. What a guy, you know, and I think he, he died pretty much. He died really early on in this, you know, in this journey of the program. And his message was keep it, I think, keep it simple. Don't muck it up with all bunch of crazy other stuff. Um, and I really think that's, that's, that's of importance. So I began to work the steps with this one and this, this sponsor, why she was good for me and what has always been my rule of thumb is she was a loving ear. She was a loving ear that, um, and I've come to believe that, uh, that anything that's vaguely resembling a higher power for me is mother nature, reality, loving kindness, you know, and connection between people. Um, you know, I'm part of a great whole and I don't understand it. And it's a giant mystery. And as long as I keep it a mystery, a wonderful mystery, you know, it's kind of good. I spent a lot of time in the forest, um, I love the forest. I live. I live near a forest. Uh, you know, it, within an hour, I can either be in the desert, the forest, the mountains, or the beach, or in a big city. Um, you know, the ocean. So it's kind of a nice place to live. But my my because I grew up in a in in the country. My place to go is up in the forest in the mountains. And uh, in April, I saw a mountain lion. I'd seen one when I was a child in the country, and then I saw one again in April. And to me, that's just so magical. But Mother Nature, I mean, it's just, I'm a different person. The, the Japanese have this thing called forest bathing. You know, we just sit and stare at the trees. I am a different person when I come down. It's some, that's a higher power to me. That's really something. But definitely loving kindness, a loving ear. Yeah, I've worked the steps over and over and over. And I tried to make uh, AA work for other, uh, for other problems. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I wanted to. And uh, I'm, I'm lucky that I got, um, I got a chance to go to, you know, DA for the money. And I've kept 60 pounds off in a strict food program, uh, Compulsive Eaters Anonymous How. We don't, it's another story. It's a different, you know, is it an outside issue? I, people say, outside issue. I'm like, okay, maybe politics. But if it's a human experience that I'm having, it's not an outside issue. It's, it's my life. And I could not make AA work for the, for the, for the food or the, or the money. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't. Um, and um, I've been I, I, in um, uh, two months ago, uh, almost two months ago, um, I, I turned 46 years sober. It was May 11th, 1975. And uh, and it's it's been a great thing to work the steps over and over and over. Yeah. And it's, uh, but but that having been said, I'm going to say. Jim, I'm glad you're here today. It's your, I think you said 90 days, but your first time at this meeting. And Ozzy, I'm so glad you're here today. And uh, Brian, congratulations on four and, a half, four and a half years last month. It's huge. And then um, first timers here, Nara, I think, Jay um, and Stacia. And I'm sure there's others too, but uh, it's, I like to wear a, like a loose garment. Um, I was like this about Al-Anon, those people, you know, but then I found that I, I, for emotional sobriety, I find that I got a lot of help, help out of going to double winners meetings, which are interesting. Everybody in the room is in AA, they're sober, but they, but they go to, 
but they use the Eleanor principles. It's kind of fun. I like that. I just came, actually just came from one uh, in New York. Um, so the steps are always on my mind because they're usually read in all the meetings I go to. And um, uh, the one I like to practice the most, I think, is the 10th step is when I'm wrong, promptly admitted it. It makes me feel cleaner because I've made my amends. Oh my God. The, uh, and I say God a lot. Don't I? Um, but um, everything was clean with my mother and my father. They were the bad guys. Those were the days, they were the bad guys. And I got to clean up my act and uh, I had no stuff with them when they died. And uh, is to be clean. I don't want to cross this road. I don't want to cross the road if I see somebody coming. There was a kind of amend I had to make recently. It was an odd one. It was just a, a touch base because the person lives in the neighborhood and I'm like, I, I'm not going to cross the street. I really don't owe you amends, but I'm not going to cross the street because there's something difficult here. You know, so I'm, I'm really grateful uh, that you asked me to speak, uh, Bridget. Thank you. And um, it's, a, it's a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done. That's from um, A Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and also that's the last sentence. The first sentence is it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, which is kind of like today too. But, um, you know, I'm the age I am. I got to stay sober for uh, 46 years so far. It's one day at a time. I am not an expert. At, at my meeting this morning, I had to say the seventh tradition, and I said uh, something to do with money. I just felt on the spot, you know. As an actor, I'm like, oh, I haven't memorized that. Of course, I've memorized it, you know. We're self-supporting for our own kind, yeah. But I couldn't remember it this morning. I said something to do with money. Um, so, and, and I know people who can quote you pages of the big book and this and that. I'm like, I can't. I have a general idea. You know, I think that the We Agnostics chapter is is kind of bullshit in the uh, in the in the you know in the in the big book because it's the, this is the message: you can believe whatever you want to get sober, anything you want. It's absolutely not important. You can believe in the group. You can believe in anything you want, but eventually you will believe in God. I'm like, ugh, okay, fine. You know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't even know how long the meeting is, but I've talked quite long enough and. Uh, Bridget, thanks for asking me to speak today. Uh, you know, I, I love AA in all its many shapes and sizes and forms. And as much as individuals make me nuts, fuck, drive me fucking crazy. Uh, I, I love AA. And business meetings, oh my God, try to stay sober during a business meeting when somebody has an opinion. Um, <laughs> and it's not your opinion. And you just think they're so opinionated. Anyway, that's it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bridget, for asking me to speak.